Welcome to episode 92 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address. 
and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order. And you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 92 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. 
I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How about you? I'm good. So I'm doing something unusual today. I usually never eat until after we record the podcast, but today I was like, it's a little chilly, and I have all this great soup in my freezer. So I made myself a mug. See, I'll show it to you. Melanie can see me. Made myself a mug of French onion soup, and it is so good. It's the perfect size mug. It holds exactly the container of soup, except that I always add extra heavy cream to mine. So then I have to, like, you know, drink it a little separately. But this is the first time I've had the French onion, and it's in a beef broth base instead of a chicken beef broth base, and I really like it. This is very true. I can attest to this. I can see Jen. (laughs) Nobody else can, but I can. (laughs) All right. Well, shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. All right. So to start things off, we do have a listener suggestion, and this comes from Michelle, and the subject is comment slash suggestion. And Michelle says, Hi, ladies. I just recently found your podcast, and and I'm all the way back in the 20s, so I have no idea if this has been suggested yet. I keep hearing people upset about drinking black coffee, and I get it. I have two tricks that will help cut the bitterness and help everyone miss their creamer and sugar less. Number one, cold brew. I have a cold brew coffee pitcher that I leave in the fridge overnight. I like warm coffee, so I just pour a cup and heat it in the microwave. Cold brew is like the slow cooker of coffees. It's amazing. So before I move on, Jen, have you done cold brew before? I haven't, no, but people do swear by it. Like a lot of people in the groups really talk about having cold brewed coffee and especially people who like their coffee cold. You know, in the summertime, a lot of people were doing cold brew and then drinking it over ice. So is that what I do? I actually make the coffee hot. That's not cold brew then. Okay. I was going to say, but then I put it in the refrigerator. Yeah. Cold brew is actually brewing it without heat. So you can do that? I don't have to heat it first? Yeah, look up some, so, I mean, I don't do it. I don't do cold brew. But yeah, I think you do it cold. You brew it cold. I should probably do that. I'm going to try. try that. Yeah. When we get off, I'm going to research it and I'm going <laughs> to. I just have my routine. I grind the beans fresh. I make them, you know, and I like my coffee hot anyway. So, you know, and I like the bitterness of the coffee. So, but that's a great tip for people who do not. If you don't enjoy the bitterness of the coffee, then this is a good step for you. Perfect. And then Michelle has another suggestion. It's number two. She says, a pinch of pink Himalayan sea salt. Google it. It's a thing. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about salt. Himalayan sea salt is great. She says, I would recommend putting it in an actual pinch into warm coffee, stir, and taste. Add more or less depending on preference. You know you have it right when the coffee is smooth but not salty. Hope this helps. Keep up the good work and cheers. So have you ever put salt in your coffee? You know, people talk about it all the time, that it will cut the bitterness. So, of course, I had to try it, and it was not for me. But (laughs) people do swear by that. So, yeah, that's a great tip. Another tip that might sound crazy, people just blend up black coffee with ice or even just blend it in a blender, and it gets a little foamy. And I don't know if it, like, just tricks their eye or whatever, but people are like, this is so much better. I'm like, hey, go for it. I'll have to try that, too. I know. People swear by that. So, you know, I'm just a a no-fuss, no-must kind of girl. I pour myself a mug of hot black coffee and go about the day. But there really are different tricks you can try, and these are a few of them. Awesome, awesome. People also say baking soda. Put the baking soda in with the grounds that that takes away the bitterness. I don't think I would do well with that. I have not tried it. I'm just reporting it. (laughs) 
<laughs> then there's also, I've always wanted to try the alkaline coffee. There's like a certain way that you can make it alkaline, they say. Yeah, I don't know. You like have to, I don't know. It was like a really complicated process. Yeah, I just like to keep it simple. I have my morning routine and it involves the brewing of my coffee. While it brews, I unload the dishwasher in case anyone wondered. And when I'm done, it's ready. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Shall we get into our questions? Sure. All right. Well, our first question is from Nicole, and the subject is, thank you. Nicole says, Dear Melanie and Jen, thank God I've found you. I'm a 49-year-old listener sending loads of gratitude all the way from Australia. I have tried everything to create a healthy relationship between my mind, body, and food, and I think I just found the key, you and your incredibly informative podcast. You include the perfect balance of scientific and anecdotal evidence, along with good humor and honest opinion. I have only just started, but I am determined to listen to every single one until I am up to date and deliriously knowledgeable about all things IF and gut health. You will laugh, but I have just survived day one of my very first clean fast, thanks to your no-nonsense directive of sucking it up and drinking black coffee to get me through. And I feel great, mainly because I did it and even pushed myself past the hunger by timing how long the feeling lasted, as you suggested, a whole three minutes. You know, and just a side note, that was something I mentioned on a on an earlier podcast. When I felt a wave of hunger, just out of curiosity, I timed it, and it was over really quickly. So back to Nicole's question. I am ashamed to say having to drink black coffee was a huge stumbling block for me because I used to start every day with a soy latte. Insert Melanie's sad face here. <laughs> but I finally did it. And now feel like I can truly make this a way of life I can actually adhere to. My advice to newbies, make your coffee much weaker than you normally would make it with milk or cream, and it doesn't taste half bad. Another side note from me, yes, that's true. People do report that as well to help them adjust, just make it a little weaker, and then over time that helps. All right, back again to Nicole's question. Due in no small part to the honesty and integrity that emanates from you both, I have just purchased both of your books, as well as your highly recommended serapeptase and magnesium supplements. I cannot wait for all of these goodies to arrive. I'm sorry for raving, but I am seriously so happy that I had to share it with you. So my question is threefold. Being a lacto-ovo vegetarian, am I better to use full cream milk in my afternoon tea or coffee once my eating window is open rather than soy milk? Though I think I know what your answer will be. Is organic tofu a good protein source for someone like me, even though it is obviously still a soy product? And is breaking my fast late afternoon with two or three boiled eggs a good idea? I'm aiming for 18.6 in my first few weeks until I feel I can extend it longer. And having eggs in the late afternoon means I can focus on simply having veggies for dinner and will feel satiated until I get home. It is also really easy to prepare every morning before work and is something I think I would be able to do daily. If my question doesn't make it to air because you have already answered something similar, I won't mind at all. I will just be pleased for you to know that your impact is far-reaching and probably more significant than you will ever realize. Oh, well, thank you, Nicole. That last part was really sweet. I know. So thank you, Nicole. So I guess the first question has to do with the soy and the soy milk and the tofu. So we have discussed soy on the podcast before, I'm pretty sure. I do have a very lengthy section on soy in my book, What When Wine. And basically, soy is very 
interesting and it's hotly debated and it definitely yep. had its moment in the sun where like everybody was eating all the soy all the time. And that was mostly because they found studies in Asian women showing that their high intake of soy was correlated to health benefits. But the weird thing is it doesn't seem to apply here in the U.S. <laughs> Basically, the studies since then have been very conflicting all around and some studies actually show negative effects from soy. And when Asian women move to the U.S., they magically lose their benefits from soy, it would seem. And that likely has to do with how soy is processed in the U.S. So most of the forms that we get of soy and the tofu, it's typically GMO, it's typically processed. And there's also the argument that soy is beneficial if you grew up eating it, like the Asian population, compared to never having it and then having it later as an adult because it does have hormone-type mimetic properties in the body. Yes, it's a phytoestrogen. I love that word. Yeah. Phytoestrogen, a plant estrogen. So it's really complicated. And my go-to recommendation, I think in general, is to avoid it. If you are going to have soy, I would recommend getting the natural fermented forms like tempa, for example. Or, I mean, she, she talks about organic tofu. If it works for you, it works for you. And I think only you can know that. So I'm not going to say don't have it. But I do think it's something to keep in mind. And I do think there are, for many people, better protein sources that don't have hormone regulating or affecting effects. So I'll put some links in the show notes to some of the soy information. So for Nicole, I would recommend, especially soy milk, I, I feel like it'd be really hard to get soy milk that's not modified. And most of those like nut milks have lots of additives and things like that. So I would probably recommend going not erring on the side of not having it, but you have to just really be in tune with your body and evaluate from there. What are your thoughts on soy? Yeah. I remember researching it a long time ago. I mean, like literally a long, long, long time ago when my boys were little and I heard something about how you didn't want to give soy to little boys, you know, because of the phytoestrogen. So it's been a long time since I researched it. And, you know, I didn't buy soy milk. I was trying to find an alternative. We drank rice milk when they were little due to some sensitivities that one of my sons had. But yeah, I just have never gone out of my way to include soy ever since I read about the controversial thoughts about it. But I also don't read labels and avoid it either. But if I were trying to decide personally, this is just a gin thing. If I were trying to decide, did I want to have full cream in my eating window, tea or coffee, or did I want to have soy? I personally would choose the full cream. But, you know, I'm not going to say 100% either way. It's a personal choice and it's up to every person to research for themselves and decide, you know, what they would find to be more in line of what they want to do for their body. So, you know, that's really a a non-answer. Personally, I would probably just have the cream, (laughs) but it's up to you. As far as the other question about breaking the fast with the eggs and then later having dinner with some veggies, I think that's a great idea. I believe boiled eggs would probably be a great way to open my window as well. You'll just have to see how that feels for you you'll know. Yeah. I wanted to include this question because I know that that's a specific question. Like, (laughs) can I open my fast or can I break my fast with eggs? But I think it speaks to a larger question that we get a lot. And it's just people saying, can I open my window with this food? Can I open my window with that food? And you can open your window with whatever you want. And that's something I really want to emphasize to people. And it's really just about finding the thing that works best for you in that window. 
And, you know, what satisfies your hunger, what digests well for you. So there are no rules about what you have to open your window with. And that's why I wanted to include this question to just really bring up that point and make that really clear that everything is okay and you just have to find what works for you. That's a great point. So really what works for one person might be the exact wrong thing for another person. Like for example, let's talk about nuts. You know, when people ask, what do you have to open your window? A lot of people say, oh, I always have a handful of nuts and that works great for them. Well, when I have nuts on an empty stomach, it makes me feel queasy for whatever reason. I don't know. And so I would never say, start with nuts, but I would also not say, don't start with nuts, (laughs) just like Melanie mentioned. It's really, really personal. And maybe you'll find that boiled eggs makes your stomach hurt, or maybe that'll be exactly the perfect thing to get you through to when you eat your vegetables later. So there's definitely nothing wrong with having eggs unless you find it doesn't work for you. But that could be really any food, fill in the blank. And something that I think is really fun about all of it is if it doesn't work, that's okay. And you can try something new. And it's kind of exciting. Like every day is a new day and a new window and you can try something else. So it's true. It's like a win-win situation. Yep. Did you know, Jen, (laughs) what type of nut or seed you would want to open your window with if you specifically wanted to attack potential parasites? Hmm. Let me guess. I'm going to try to guess. I'm going to say almond. No. Okay. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Pumpkin seeds. Okay. So why is that? They have a compound in them which paralyzes parasites. So people, a lot of people who are doing like parasite type dietary approaches will eat a lot of pumpkin seeds, but they say you should have them not in your fast, but you should have them on an empty stomach. Yeah. Good to open your window. But of course they're not a nut, right? They're a seed. Yeah. Right. Yep. All right. Shall we go on to the next question? Yes. All right, so this one comes from Bianca, and the subject is too afraid to start. Hi from New Zealand. That's also in the subject. (laughs) And Bianca says, again, hi from New Zealand. Your podcast has been my go-to to to listen to at work. It's been really helpful and full of in-depth knowledge about IF, so thank you. Since listening, I feel that I am now well-equipped to start. However, I am too afraid to do so. This is because I've been so used to restricting my calories to 1,300 max per day, and I'm afraid that if I stop restricting and start listening to my body during eating windows, I would overeat and gain weight. I was wondering, how did you start with IF? Did you eat more calories going on IF and still lose weight? Help. All right. That is really, really a good question, Bianca, and I'm glad that you asked it. But first of all, I just have to say this is funny because... You know, I was a school teacher, and so it's so foreign to me that you could listen to a podcast at work. She talked about how she likes to listen to it during work. Oh, true. Yeah. I was like, I wish I could listen to podcast. Could have. Of course, I couldn't have. But anyway, that's just funny, listening to podcasts at work. But I'm super glad, Bianca, that our podcast gets you through the workday. That makes me really happy to think of someone in New Zealand listening to us. So, you know, we've talked about calories before and how... Of course, not all calories are treated the same in the body. That's really important to know. But, you know, I talk in my book, Delay, Don't Deny, about the Biggest Loser study. And in the Biggest Loser study, they followed the Biggest Loser contestants over time after their severe caloric restriction diet and weight loss days. And they found that years later, even after their time had ended, the time on the Biggest Loser, their metabolisms had slowed because 
of the caloric restriction that they had been doing. So if you have been limiting your calorie intake to 1,300 max per day for a long period of time, it is likely that your body has adjusted to that. And that is unfortunate because now you're going to have to work with what you've got. You know, a lot of us have slowed our bodies through excessive dieting. You know, the good news for me is that right before I started intermittent fasting, the time that actually really worked for me, the time that I I lost all the weight, prior to that, I had kind of given up for a while. I was trying intuitive eating by itself, and so I just really just ate without rhyme or reason most of the time. Every now and then I'd pop in a little diet here and there, but mostly I was doing intuitive eating and not weighing. And so I really, I think ate a lot of food over those years until I got up to 210 pounds. So my most recent, before starting IF, I definitely had not been restricting the amount of food that I was eating. So when I started IF, I was able to lose the weight. So you asked, you know, what what we did and how we started. I'd also been trying keto for a while right before I switched over to IF and also eating plenty of food. So unfortunately, as I said, you may be working with some metabolic slowdown. And so you're going to have to figure out how you want to deal with that. And, you know, maybe you won't have any trouble with gaining weight, but it's possible that you will. If you find that you start with a daily eating window approach and you know, you're eating sensibly, you're trying to listen to your satiety cues, but maybe you can't even feel them anymore because after years of prolonged dieting, you really do kind of lose them. And so, you know, let's say you're not getting those signals at all. Maybe you do need to consciously think about volume of food for a while, but also you may benefit from an alternate day fasting approach with an up day, down day kind of pattern. And I talk about this in the up and down chapter of Delay, Don't Deny, the up day, down day chapter. It would be like one day you have either a complete fast, you wake up, you don't eat all day, you go to bed, you wake up the next day, and then the next day is an up day where you have at least two meals, and then you repeat, you just alternate that. That's a very well-researched form of intermittent fasting, the alternate day fasting plan. And it actually is a good one for getting your metabolism kind of going again because you have those up days. But that is the key. You know, you have the one day where you have the full fast and then the next day you have the up day where you're eating. You need to make sure you eat at least two good meals. I would not have a window shorter than six to eight hours. You don't just want to on that second day have like one meal a day or something like that. That's not going to be enough. Your goal is to teach your body that food is plentiful and hopefully your body can upregulate your metabolism again. So you just really need to give it time. You know, you might find that you gain weight at first, and then that slows and stops. Now your body is trusting that, you know, you're healed and there's plenty of food around, and then maybe your body will be ready to start letting go of some of that weight. So it is a process, but those people who have really restricted calories and dieted long-term may take a little longer to see the weight loss. What do you have to say, Melanie? Yeah, so my first thoughts when reading this is I just, I really focused on the fear aspect of it. Like, I think this is more about the mindset and the fear and the need for control rather than, I mean, it's great. I agree with everything you said about the metabolism and slowing down and everything, but um, just to focus on the mind aspect of it. I know that in general, we fear the unknown and we fear something new and we'd rather stick in something that we know, even if it's not working for us. So for example, Bianca, I'm guessing (laughs) being in this restrictive state of counting 1,300 calories every day is not something that's 
making you happy. And it's not something that's working for you long-term. But because you're so used to that and that's what you know, you feel safer doing that than trying anything else that potentially could be much better. I mean, it could be the same, could not work as well, but it's always just seems safer to us to stick in what we know and the patterns that we know, even when they're not working, which is like kind of crazy because you think if something's not working for you that you would, you know, want to change it right away. But we get safety in that pattern and that routine and that feeling of control. So I would encourage you, Bianca, to understand that and to maybe be okay with taking baby steps. So it's not like you have to switch to IF completely and throw calorie counting out the window. I mean, we want to get away from it ultimately, but if it's too scary for you to be like, I'm just going to be completely intuitive and eat whatever I want and do all these things and make this huge shift, maybe that's too scary for you. So maybe you could try going baby steps. And I don't know how you'll feel about this, Jen, but I was thinking something Bianca could try is she could start doing an intermittent fasting window. I don't want her to count calories forever, but she could still count like the 1300 calories in that window for however long it takes her to adjust to this new way of eating and realizing that okay, she can eat these 1300 calories in this window and that'll be okay. And then hopefully with the intermittent fasting, she'll get used to this pattern and she'll become more intuitive and enter you know, a fat burning state during the day and then be eating at night and then slowly add in, I think she'll become more and more trusting and can add in more and more food. I actually think that's a great idea just because, you know, we've talked about before how calories are not, I mean, that's not really how the body works as a calorie calculator, but you know, baby steps, like we said. Yeah, like maybe she just needs to feel slightly in control still while making the transition to this new way of eating. So I think that's something that you could try. Just you have to promise not to count calories for the rest of your life. But um, yeah. I do think that could be a good transition. So that's something that I would suggest. And then I'll also plug, as I often do, the book, The Yoga of Eating, about intuitive eating that I actually narrate the audiobook for. But by Charles Eisenstein. And that's a wonderful book. And we actually do have a Facebook group surrounding that as well that you can join. So I'll put links to all that in the show notes. And then just as for your question about how do we personally start IF and did we eat more calories? I was actually, I was not paleo, but I was super low carb, like Atkins style. And then I started intermittent fasting. So I wasn't counting calories and I didn't start counting calories calories just weren't even a thing because I was counting carbs (laughs) so intensely. But I imagine I probably started eating more because I was just like, yes, I can eat as much as I want, you know, within this window. But that's just me. We all have our own journeys and it doesn't even really, it doesn't matter, but it doesn't even matter. Like we we, we do. It doesn't matter what I did or what you did. What matters is what Bianca does. Exactly. And what works for you. So definitely keep us updated and let us know. I'm curious about something. You know, she's been limiting to 1,300 calories. I wish I could ask Bianca. I wonder if she's been maintaining at that or losing at that, or has she been gaining? So that would, like, I don't know what her most recent trend has been. Yeah. I mean, I know she's scared about gaining, so I, right? I feel like probably where she's at right now, she probably feels safe. You know, like, I feel like she's probably not gaining. because. But I wonder if she wants to lose weight. That would be so interesting to know. Oh, like if she's trying to lose weight as well? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Which just shows the futility of trying to count calories long term and having that having that be a weight loss plan. I just listened today to an upcoming episode of Intermittent Fasting Stories where I interviewed somebody, Donna Doobie is her name, and she talked about how she for years was counting calories and eating less than a thousand calories a day and not losing weight and just 
it wasn't until she implemented intermittent fasting that she was able to finally lose weight. She's lost like 130 pounds now. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's pretty amazing. You're going to love that episode when it comes out. But she was eating less than 1,000 calories a day and not able to lose the weight. Our bodies are crazy. They are. <laughs> and she added an intermittent fasting. And she actually went keto for the first year of her journey. Now she's no longer keto and continues to lose weight. But she, you know, didn't count calories with intermittent fasting. So, you know, Bianca, I would love to have a follow-up from you as to what you did and what worked. And we would like to share that as well. Yeah definitely send us an email. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. All right. Are we ready for the next question? Yes. So we have a question from Philippa. And her subject is, help, can IF work for normal BMI people? Yes. 
(laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Next question. Sorry. Okay. I'm going to read the question. And this is just so cool. Melanie, did you do this on purpose? Our first question was Australia. Then we had New Zealand. And here we are back to Australia. No. I didn't realize that at all. That's really cool. All right. So she says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Hello from Australia. Thank you for your amazing podcast and for all the work you do in the IF community. I have a conundrum. I've been doing IF for four months now and have not noticed any changes apart from feeling pretty good in the early afternoon before I open my five-hour window at around 3.30 or 4 p.m. I am still feeling exhausted most of the time, and I have lost no weight on the scales or fat. In fact, I feel like my stomach and thigh fat has increased slightly. My clothes are not any looser. I am considered normal BMI. I weigh 58.5 kilograms, which she so thoughtfully converted into pounds, which is 129 pounds, and I am 164 centimeters tall, which is 5 feet 4 inches. My goal weight and the weight I have felt best at in the past is 55 kilograms, which is 120 to 122 pounds. I only have a relatively small amount to lose, but those few kilograms make a huge difference on my body frame and mental health. I feel that most of the success stories around the IF community are for those people who were overweight or obese or battling chronic health conditions. I am starting to wonder whether the only answer for me to lose weight and maintain is to calorie restrict, which is the way that my grandmother and aunts maintain their health and slim physiques. A bit about me. I am a 42-year-old female. I am prone to stress, anxiety, and depression. I am type A personality and perfectionistic. I work in an executive position at a large company. The job is intense, requiring me to work most nights after I get home and spend family time and weekends. I am married and a mother to a four-year-old. I am the sole income earner for our family. I am an emotional eater, and I gain weight easily, evidence from a 10-kilogram, which is 22-pound weight gain at college, and a very easy 22-kilogram or 48-pound gain during my pregnancy. Despite that, for most of my adult life, I've been able to maintain a weight range of 5 kilograms or 11 pounds, weighing between 55 and 60 kilograms at any point in time. The effort to do that, however, has been exhausting. I fixated on calorie counting and exercise to enable me to maintain my goal weight. My goal weight was maintained, ensuring as best I could my calorie intake was 1,200 calories a day net. As I've gotten older and become a mum, I simply do not have the energy to continue the intense exercise routine I have done previously, and the weight has crept up. 2018 saw me commence a personal wellness journey to help me get better. I began by quitting sugar, followed by gluten. This, together with yoga and daily mindfulness meditation, has had a profound positive effect on my mental health. My anxiety and depression have dissipated. I am also following a pretty whole foods-based diet. I have dabbled with paleo, but I struggle to eat lots of meat. So I feel I do better on a pescatarian diet. Discovering IF midway through 2018 was like a light globe moment for me. However, in reality, apart from the absolute relief and no longer calorie counting, the results aren't yet there. I'm prepared to stick at the IF lifestyle for a while, but am becoming deflated at the scale not shifting, nor the other health benefits showing up. The thought of severely calorie restricting to reach my goals fills me with dread. The thought of a 5-2 approach to fasting is also not palatable to me. I love the theory and practice of time-restricted eating each day. However, I wonder if it really isn't for people like me. 
By the way, I clean fast for an average of 19 hours per day. I have worked up to this over the four months, clean fasting after a couple of weeks, and I initially commenced with a 16-8 approach. Now that Christmas is over, I've commenced January alcohol-free and limiting my carb intake. I've noticed best results over the years by watching my intake of these. They just make me bloated. Your thoughts would be appreciated. Once again, thank you for all that you do. Best regards, Philippa. All right. So thank you, Philippa, for your question. This is kind of similar to the question we just had. It is. Again, (laughs) I think this is much more about the control aspect rather than the diet. And I really think hearing you describe yourself, Philippa, I mean, just hearing about your personality type, you know, type A, prone to stress, really, really intense job, and you're the income earner for the family and your mom, and you're doing all of these things. I mean, that is a lot. And I feel like probably what's happening is you're trying to find control in your life through your eating, in addition to all of the aspects of the weight loss and all of that. But I do definitely think that this is like the first question. It's about control. And something I just wanted to point out, because I think it's very, like oftentimes our own perspective and the way we judge things is often very skewed compared to what might actually be reality. So for example, you say you do gain weight easily, which is very possibly true, but your evidence for it is gaining like 20 pounds in college. Okay. I will just say I find a lot of people gain weight in college. Oh yeah, I did. (laughs) I mean, I definitely gained 20 pounds. I mean, that's a very conducive environment. So I wouldn't use that as, you know, straight up evidence for gaining. You know, both of my boys gained weight in in their first year of college and they, you know, they were able to get it off, but yeah. I think most people do. I mean, it's like this new time. You're surrounded by all this food and fun. I mean, it just, it happens. So I I wouldn't point to that as like the thing. And then your second example is weight gain during pregnancy, which weight gain during pregnancy is a very natural, healthy thing. Like we gain weight during pregnancy. So I wouldn't look to those as evidence as defining yourself as somebody who easily gains weight. So I just wanted to point that out as a mindset shift and something that maybe you could think about. But it's awesome because clearly you are realizing that there is this, you know, mental aspect to it because you said that yoga and mindfulness are really helping you. And I think that's wonderful. And I think that's so telling. And I really think that that's what you should move towards because like with our other question we just had, I don't think the constant calorie restriction is going to help in the long term. It's obviously not the life that you want to be in, but like the other question We stick in these things because we know them and they're safe and we feel like we're in control. So we're too scared to try new things. So I don't think you need to bring in any more intense control into your life surrounding diet. I would encourage you since you find that like the pescatarian type approach works for you and it sounds like you seem to do pretty well in like a quote, a pretty whole foods based diet. And you said you've dabbled with paleo. That is something maybe... This is just my opinion, but something I would personally maybe focus on is rather than focusing on counting calories and these really strict rules and things like that, maybe eating in a more lax approach calorie-wise while looking at choosing healthy, nourishing food choices. So having a mindset shift from restriction to instead, how can I nourish myself and nourish my body and make it feel comfortable in this eating window? And I think then when you reach a new mindset and a new comfort with your body, I do think it's possible that you will find it easier to maintain certain weights. (laughs) I don't want to say like have vague rules 
like, oh, you have to eat only whole foods or something like that. But um, I do think that that could be a nice paradigm shift to maybe instead of focusing on the calories, focus instead on what you're eating because we do know that that seems to work for you in general. Like you seem intuitive. You know that limiting your carbs helps a little bit. You know that going alcohol-free seems to help. So I think maybe focusing on the foods rather than the calories and just being kind to yourself and accepting and trying to let go of the control aspect. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think you said some great things. But I also want to point out two things that are actually really cool. First Mm -hmm. of all, she said that she has been maintaining her weight for four months with no calorie counting. After prior to that, she had to, she said, my goal weight was maintained by me ensuring my calorie intake was 1,200 calories a day net. Well, she hasn't been doing that, and she's been maintaining her weight for four months. So that's really exciting right there. So what you're doing right now is an excellent maintenance plan for you, and that is not to be you know, downplayed. The fact that you are not counting calories and you're maintaining and not gaining, that is wonderful. And you've been doing that for four months. And when I do the math of how much weight you want to lose, it's seven to nine pounds. You know, I don't want to say only seven to nine pounds because that would make it sound like it's not important. And we all know those last seven to nine pounds, absolutely, we feel those on our bodies. So I know what you mean. Seven to nine pounds, you will feel so different when you lose those. So I have an idea for you. You said that you're opening your eating window somewhere around 3.30 or 4. For me, when I was actively trying to lose weight, which I'm not anymore, I actually open my window around 3.30 or 4 a lot of days now. I'm maintaining my weight. That's my goal. But if I wanted to lose more weight, if I decided, you know, I need to lose more fat, I would push my window opening just a little bit later. For me, I had a huge difference in appetite correction when I would wait till 5 p.m. to open my window. I mean, it might sound crazy. How could an hour or an hour and a half make that much difference? But I promise you that it does for me. So try that. You know, as I said a minute ago, you have found a lifestyle right now that is working for you as a maintenance plan. And that is not something to feel discouraged about. So, you know, tighten up that window a little bit just for a while and see what happens with your weight. I would encourage you to take pictures. I would encourage you to take measurements because, you know, with intermittent fasting, you're likely to not ever get to the weight on the scale where you were before, but you might be smaller, if that makes sense. Because of body recomposition, you may find you're smaller at a higher weight. So keep that in mind because the scale doesn't tell the whole story, you know, because you're talking a lot about your weight and you haven't said anything about your size. I'm assuming you you haven't lost any size either, but, you know, maybe you have. So keep that in mind. So pay attention to your body changes, not only the weight. Any thoughts about that, Melanie? I was just brainstorming in my head about an idea I have for a product now that relates to all of this. Oh, Shark Tank again. I know. <laughs> Like, I don't know how, I'm trying to think how you would make it to make it completely conducive and beneficial and not backfire. But what if there was some sort of scale, like a scale that you would weigh yourself on, but it wouldn't tell you what you weighed, but you would tell it how you felt on these days. And then it would somehow generate information. I don't know, because I think we would find that We don't necessarily know that 
oh, this certain weight is when I feel best. Because I'm just thinking about how she says that she thinks back to like this certain weight she was and that's when she felt best. And I think that's something we often do. We have this idea in our head of like, oh, this one time. Right, I was a number on a scale. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, oh, if I'm magically that weight, I'll magically feel great. And that's not even necessarily the case. <laughs> it's probably not the case. You could quite likely feel even better at a completely different weight. Right. I just wish there was somehow like uh, some sort of scale that would, tell you this somehow with like out telling you your weight. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see different Differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher, and it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version.
version of the Tone, the second generation Tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the Tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the Tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. Well, I just handled it because I threw my scale in the trash and then I just every day know how I feel. That works too. My scale of how I feel is my brain. (laughs) Exactly. And also I I know if my clothes feel a little tight, you know, I can tell. But I do think it's really interesting and telling that she says that. And I think a lot of us do that is we remember, you know, this one time I was this one weight and it was like a good day, (laughs) you know? And so we think, oh, so if I'm that weight, that's my my good weight. That's my good weight. Yeah. When it's like we almost need to have a day at that weight and feel really crappy yep. and realize, oh, you know, that weight number doesn't mean anything. I also want to point out one other thing about this question. It's not all or nothing. It's not either eat without abandon or put yourself on a strict 1,200-calorie diet. There's some middle ground where you just, you know, the Japanese have the harahachibu. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's where you eat until you're 80% full. You consciously stop eating before you're full. And, you know, try that. You don't have to count calories to stop eating before you eat too much. So that that's not like either or. Either you count calories or you eat too much, right? You know, there's a middle ground in the middle where you can say, I've had enough now. And, you know, with intermittent fasting, people tend to think, well, I could just have whatever I feel like having and I will magically lose weight. And that does work for some people. But, you know, for me, if I know, like if I were trying to lose weight right now, I would probably not have that, you know, piece of chocolate after dinner or I wouldn't have the cookie or I wouldn't have the extra snack or the extra glass of wine. I just know that, you know, it's not forever and it's not like I am, quote, dieting or restricting, but I'm just not quite having everything that I would like to have, if that makes sense. You know, a lot of what many of us, including me, eat in a day is because the enjoyment of eating it and you know, maybe you don't really need to eat as much, if that makes sense. You know, think about that 80% full that the Japanese practice and see if you can stop sooner. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to point out. Yeah, it's not either or. All right, shall we jump into the next question? Yes. This question comes from Stephanie, and the subject is micronutrient test. And Stephanie says, hi, you guys are amazing. Love the podcast. I don't fast the way you guys do. Usually I do it once a week for spiritual and cleansing purposes, but I have learned so much. So thank you so much. I just want to say it's kind of cool that she doesn't do intermittent fasting, but she still, you know, finds benefits and well, things. She fasts we... intermittently. Exactly. Just more intermittently than us. That's true. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I'm wondering about a micronutrient test. Is it really worth my time and money or should I just get a blood test? All right. Now, see, I wasn't sure what this meant. What does she mean by a micronutrient test? What do you mean? I think she's talking about the um, the tests that check all your micronutrients. So, the you know, the ones where it's like zinc, copper, iodine, all of those. Well, how's that different than a blood test? Okay, so it could be two things. 
It could be she's talking about a micronutrient test where like they do a hair analysis or something like that compared to a blood test. Or what I was thinking is that she's talking about a specific test of her micronutrients compared to like just a typical blood test where they check your, you know, the typical panel. So like your blood glucose, your liver enzymes, the basic stuff. My response then would be, well, it depends on what you want to find out. You know, what do you want to know? Will you get that information from a blood test or do you really think that you have specific micronutrient deficiencies that you might need the bigger test, you know, the more comprehensive test for. So I don't have an answer for that. Specifically, you could probably have guessed since I didn't really know what you meant by micronutrient test and Melanie had to explain it to me. So I'm interested to hear what you would say about it, Melanie. Yeah. So I have a mixed relationship with blood tests. On the one hand, I want to get like all the tests all the time (laughs) because I want to know everything. But then on the other hand, I think we often overtest and then we can make assumptions about things and it might just be a certain marker, especially with like just a typical blood test. It's a picture of you at that one moment and it might not be telling about the overall case of what's going on, but I mean, but it can. But actually micronutrient tests, if you're feeling healthy and feeling good, I guess there's reason for why you're testing in the first place. Right. But if you feel like if something is off, I actually do think micronutrient testing can be good. And that's because it's going to test for certain nutrients that just given our present society, we often can be deficient in that do need to be addressed. Because in general, I do like to get micronutrients from food, but because of like the common food supply and our modern environments, we can get off in certain things. So specifically with a micronutrient test, I think it can be helpful for determining, for example, vitamin D. You might be low in that, and that would be something you would want to definitely address. And so um, through sunlight, taking vitamin D supplements. Also, it can be really important for the zinc-copper ratio, and that's something that you might need to actually actively address as well by changing your food choices or supplementing. Often, we're really high in copper and low in zinc. A lot of people do advocate supplementing with zinc, but you wouldn't want to just willingly supplement with zinc for no reason without knowing. That's why you would want to test like this. Also, iodine can be huge. And that relates to thyroid and a lot of things like that. And so that might be something that needs to be addressed. So I do think micronutrient testing really has its place, especially if you're feeling off and maybe finding out where that reasoning might be. I mean, it also could show like if you're low in magnesium, the thing is, I think, I don't think you can really go wrong. Magnesium is kind of one that I think most people are deficient in and you can pretty much, you know, supplement with magnesium and you're not going to cause (laughs) probably not negative effects. I mean, there might be some loose bowels or things like that. But um, that's something that I think most people could just supplement anyways. Yeah, that's my thoughts on those. Yeah, that's a good point. But again, it really is like, what's the purpose? Why do you want to do it? What are you trying to find out? Yeah. Selenium. Selenium is another one. Yeah. So I've never had a micronutrient test. So I have. A lot. <laughs> and I bet if we had polled listeners, which one of us has had a micronutrient <laughs> test and which one of us is saying, what is a micronutrient test? <laughs> They probably would have known that. Yeah. You probably know. (laughs) All right. We have time for one more question, and this is from KK, and the subject is Fed State All Day. Hi, Jen and Melanie. First, thank you so much for this amazing podcast. It has been invaluable during my transition to an IF lifestyle. I've been IFing for about six weeks now, and it's going great. I usually fast for at least 19 hours, but I also experiment with longer fasting periods. I'm already at a healthy weight. 
I started IF for the health benefits, but of course I wouldn't mind losing 5 to 10 pounds. My weight hasn't really changed during the past six weeks, but I have seen positive changes off the scale. My back acne cleared up and my nails are long and strong for the first time in my adult life. Yay! Here's the background for my questions. I have generally been doing one meal a day since I started, but you might be surprised at how much food I can eat during that one meal. I have a pretty healthy diet, 90% whole food plant-based, so my meals are very filling and nutrient-dense. Because I eat a lot of beans and healthy fats, I stay full for a long time after eating. Sometimes, it seems like I stay full until dinner time the next day. I have two questions about this. First, I'm worried that on days where I don't feel hungry until dinner, that I'm staying in the, quote, fed state throughout my fast. Sometimes I think I'm getting into ketosis from the weird taste in my mouth, etc., which would indicate that I'm in the fasted state, but sometimes I don't get there. Is it possible to stay in the fed state for 19 to 23 hours if you eat too much during your meal? Would this prevent the health benefits of fasting from occurring? Secondly, there are some days when dinner time rolls around and I really can't tell if I'm truly hungry or if it's just clock hunger. I usually err on the side of eating because I love food. Should I be trying harder to figure out if I'm actually hungry or not? Maybe that would make the scale move but I don't want to give up my one meal a day. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much again. You two are awesome. All right. Thank you, KK. So I love this question because I've thought about this a lot, <laughs> like especially historically, because there's definitely points where when you're not hungry, especially if it's after eating a lot the night before, it can definitely feel like you're not fasted. I mean, it's a different feeling compared to, at least in my experience, if you're doing perhaps like a low-carb diet and you just have absolutely no hunger because you're super keto adapted or something, but you still feel fasted versus a day where you ate a ton the night before, not necessarily, quote, low-carb or ketogenic, and you just feel residually full from that. And it is really, you know, (laughs) I've thought about that a lot. So something to think about in general, there's never really a point where there's not food in us. So, you know, we eat, the food is in the stomach and then, you know, the small intestine and the large intestine, but it's not like you eat and all the food is all gone and that's when you're fasted. Right. Because food takes, I mean, it takes a different amount of time for different people to move through the digestive system, but pretty much there's always likely going to be food in like your large intestine, for example. And, um, especially people who do a more vegetarian type approach and are relying on those fibers and their gut bacteria creating fatty acids from those fibers. Yes, in a way you're getting energy from food that's still in you and you could still be, quote, fasted at the same time. Because the way we're looking at fasting and intermittent fasting is the fasted state from, I think, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Jen, from likely when your small intestine is empty. Like there's no actual immediate food separate from your colon. And now I know things are getting like very specific. I mean, can you go 23 hours and still be in the fed state? I don't think so. I don't think so. Unless you're like in a situation where you have severely delayed like gastric emptying or, you know, where there's something wrong. And so for some reason, you're literally not digesting food or you're digesting food at an insanely slow rate. But I think the satiety is not coming from that. It's coming from the residual hormonal effects and effects of, you know, how your gut bacteria are acting. And it's a lot of different factors for why you do or do not feel hungry. So I would just embrace it. It sounds like 
you love food, you found a pattern that works for you, you would casually would feel okay about losing more. And I think to address that part, you talk about how like you love food, but there's sometimes you're not truly hungry or not. I think if what you're doing right now works for you, just keep doing it. If you do want to lose more weight, maybe you could capitalize on those times when you don't feel quite hungry and you could just extend your fast a little later. Or alternatively, since you're not as hungry, just consciously eating less, not out of fear, not out of control, just like we talked about earlier, like Jen was talking about, you know, the Japanese eating to 80%. Harahachibu. Yep. Yeah. And I think you're in a perfect situation to do this because- I'm not sensing control issues or anything like that. I think you totally know how you feel about food and how it makes you feel. And it sounds like, you know, you're not struggling with restricting per se, but you would be open to losing weight. So I think you're in a really good position where if you do want to try to lose a little bit of weight while doing your pattern, like I said, just extend the fast longer or on those days when you're not as hungry, eat less. (laughs) Yep. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think so. And what Melanie said earlier about the fact that we were never technically empty, right? You know, in a daily pattern like we're doing, your system is still, you know, quote, full. You still have, you know, those beans from the last night are still hanging around in there. And so you're not completely empty. But that's not the same as the fed state. So just keep that in mind. Just don't eat if you're not hungry, really. And stop when you've had enough, like Melanie said. It's easier said than done because I agree with you. I like food, too. And so... You know, dinner time rolls around. I like to open my window. I like to eat. But if you really are like, eh, just see what happens. What if you wait an hour? You know, just see. Yeah. Like KK says, should I be trying harder to figure out if I'm actually hungry? So that's like a complicated thought process. You're not saying, am I hungry? You're saying, should I try to figure out if I'm hungry? And I know that like that sounds like a technicality, but I think there's a difference there. Right. I think you should just change it to am I hungry? Not, do I need to figure out if I'm hungry? (laughs) Because then it's becoming just like this mind game about, you know, am I hungry? But am I actually hungry? When really the answer should be, I mean, you're hungry or you're not hungry. So maybe if you can just simplify and yeah, focus on that and the intuition that goes with that. And I also want to point out that KK talks about finding or feeling the symptoms or signals that your body is in ketosis and that some days she feels it and some days she doesn't. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, try to judge my day on whether or not I feel those sensations because some days I feel them more strongly than others. But it just might have to do with the way my body is using the ketones that day, too. You know, like if I've worked out and whatever, and, you know, it just depends. There's so many factors. So I would not be saying, gosh, I don't have the taste in my mouth. I must not be, you know, getting there today. No, not necessarily. Don't use that as your signal to whether or not you're, you know, getting there. Yeah, basically, there's a lot of overanalyzing. And I can say that because I do it too, like 100%. So I get it completely. But yeah, so I think we can get out of our head a little bit. And she has only been doing IF for about six weeks. So really, maybe she's lightly getting in some days and not quite there yet because her body really is still adjusting to a little degree. Because six weeks feels like a long time, but it really is still so very early days. On that All right. Note. On that note. <laughs> Well, this has been wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. So if you'd like to submit your own question for the podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Also, how to listen to our podcast. So we are a Himalaya show, which we're 
super, super excited about. Basically, you can find us on the Himalaya app. This is great for iPhone users and Android users. So download that app. I love the app. It's the app now that I use for listening to all my podcasts. It's wonderful. It keeps all of your podcasts in one place. It makes it really easy to like pick episodes and add them to your own playlist. You can leave comments on other podcasts. It's really wonderful. And make sure that you follow us on there because then will automatically pop up in your feed. And also Jen and I are just making it our personal goal to get as many followers (laughs) as we can. Please follow us on Himalaya. Yes. And this is completely free. It's just another way of listening to the podcast. You can listen to the podcast in iTunes as well and also on our website. But um, yeah, so lots of ways to get us. And you can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast and you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. Oh, and Jen, so this is the announcement we wanted to make This is episode 92. Yes. Jen and I have an exciting idea for episode 100. Should we go ahead and... Yeah, let's do. We're we're getting so close. Yeah. So for episode 100, we're thinking of doing an Ask Me Anything episode. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, you can ask about intermittent fasting, but basically, no. (laughs) Ask whatever you want about us. That doesn't mean we're going to answer it. No. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we might. Yeah, you can ask us absolutely anything. But you can ask us anything. Yeah, our thoughts on anything, anything about us. And I think that'll be a really fun little episode. That would be fun for our 100th episode. Ask us anything. Oh, I can't wait. Now I'm super excited. I know, me too. <laughs> and a little scared. I know. It'll be really interesting. Just if you're emailing about that, just make sure you put episode 100 somewhere in the subject. And we will try to get that for that episode. I think that'll be really fun. Yeah. All right. So anything else from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. It's been another great episode. I don't think I was too foggy. Did I sound foggy after drinking my bone broth? No. But listeners might let me know. They might say, Jen, you sounded crazy. Don't eat before the podcast ever again. (laughs) You know what else you could do? What? Cold showers. I'm up to one minute. Yeah, I'm not doing that. It's amazing. Oh, and I got the shower timer. And it's amazing. Well, I did read an article recently about how a hot bath can raise your metabolism as much as running or like burn as much energy as like a run. So I'm going to do that instead, a hot bath. I'll do that. Followed by a cold shower. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a negative. (laughs) No. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. Keep trying. I'll be reclining in my jacuzzi hot bath tub. (laughs) All right. I'll be in my cold shower. All right. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.